Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And today, I'd like to apologize to our handful of listeners for... Um, all five of them. All five of them, yeah. I, no, I, 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 how many do we have on average? Are you comfortable talking about that? or do we Not right leave now. That not right okay. now. I, I want to get that, this apology out of the way first. Okay, uh, okay. I want to sincerely apologize because this is not our are across the spider-verse review because which is coming which is coming seed basically decided to be a little bitch uh-huh. and uh we had to we're, we're delaying it so uh we're reviewing the boogeyman which so well, first of all first of all i like how your terminology is just a little bitch when you actually don't tell them what happened okay okay I, I wanted to keep it private but i guess so basically c got attacked by a duck and yeah. the duck basically committed a hate crime and beat him to a pulp. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to call the cops or anything. Yeah. So because that would just make things worse. He would come yeah. back. He would come back with like more ducks, yeah, <laughs> like a like a flying V and just attacks. Yeah. <laughs> just attacks. See, like yeah. like it, it would have been a cloaca first, of course. Oh, my God. Yes. Cloaca first. And you know, we, we C didn't want that. I didn't want no. that. And uh, that's just a bad look for what is a uh, a, a really um, a fast growing podcast. Exactly. You know, ducks. Ducks are a big demo that we reach. And uh, oh yeah. They, and listen, once you get once you get hate from the ducks, the geese. Well, you don't want a geese to, like uh, doing a drive by. Oh no, you don't no. want that. <laughs> geese will fuck you up. They're geese... ac- actually no joke. Geese are terrifying. Geese are terrifying. Swan yeah. are worse. Swan are well, like geese who are like have a narcissistic swan are, complex. Swan are swans are assholes. Famously, yeah, famously they they yeah they like. Would that, you rather would you rather face a goose or a swan? Oh, I'd rather if I had to. I'd rather face a goose. Isn't there a famous? Isn't there a few cases where uh, a swan actually like didn't kill but like attacked a baby? Like, wasn't that a thing? Yeah, yeah, that happened. I I want to say that happened in. Is that uh, in New York? Yeah, I want to say it was New York. That, I really like, do. And again, let me be clear. It, it, it didn't kill the baby. The baby was okay. but like Just lost its nose. The, I, I hope not. But I remember it was like a whole <laughs> thing because like animal, uh, uh, it was this back and forth because the animal control was called. And they're like, well, the thing is, it became this debate because it was in Central Park, I think. Yeah. And the debate, the issue was that, well, technically this is it. Like it, we went to its home. And it was technically defending the lake it was at, but it also attacked a kid. I think the, that specific goose was put down. That's that was the only resolution. But yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, like that's that's kind was, of the line. Like, yeah. if the animal attacks a human being, it has to be put down. We may not but like think, it, but it's kind oh, no. of standard it's operating procedure for uh, for animal control services. But I think the argument was not even that like it was the baby's fault. It wasn't, or the human's fault. It wasn't. It was more that like. This wasn't like a feral goose. It was just a normal goose doing its thing. Yeah. Like, that's but, how bad they are. But kind of going back, folks. Yes. Uh, uh, back. Yeah. The, like, I, I really want to talk about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And we, but will. We, we will. will. We will. In fact, C's going to go see it tonight. But yes. uh, we did we did see uh, The Boogeyman, which, Ooh. like, originally we didn't think we were going to have time to review, but it... Mm-hmm. Like the way the world works is that now it ended up being the one we review before across the Spider Verse. Yeah, but and which you know, who would have thought? Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like we know folks 
are more like these are these are the two movies because there were like a lot of releases this week. These were yeah. the two movies that people are most likely going to see. If they're not seeing Across the Spider Verse with their kids or by themselves because they're comic book nerds like us, they're seeing Transformers. <laughs> I mean, Transformers is next weekend. No, um, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So this past weekend or this pa- this past weekend and week, if you're not a comic book nerd or you're not someone with kids, and honestly, like, like even if you don't have kids, uh, uh, Spider Spider Verse is something you might take a look at. Yeah. Uh, Boogeyman is horror, and listen, horror is like that old reliable genre, oh, like yeah. old like faithful. you. Yeah, it's old faithful. Like there there are two genres that are like that. I'm going to get some value out of this. Mm-hmm. It's horror because you know there's going to be at least a couple scares that get you. Yeah. And it's comedy. And comedy. Yep. Comedy. Because there's going to be a couple things that are going to make you laugh until you can't breathe. And that's why I love. That's why I love. Here's what's funny though. A good horror comedy will bring the best of both worlds. A bad horror comedy will give you none. Yeah, that's so true. That's that's so so true. It's so uh, weird, like that blend is. You have to be very careful there. So, um, <clears throat> the Boogeyman uh, is basically following this trend that we saw last year, where studios are basically producing and releasing these mid-budgeted, uh, studio studio-driven horror films. Um, good example well, last year is the black phone. That's a good example. Also, I would also say a great example from last year was smile. Yes, you're right. You're Basically. Right. And like I, we said in our smile review is that a mid budget horror film is like, doesn't have any A-listers. Usually the cast is filled from top to bottom with like really, really good, reliable character actors. Mm-hmm. Um, budgets probably not over 50 mil. No. Uh, that means that the effects are going to be very good where there are effects, but the, um, but you know, it's not going to be like these crazy locations or no. this crazy like scale. Cause horror, it's likely going to take place in a single, single town or single state to be yeah. honest. Oh, usually it's a single town and so most of the time it's a, house. it's a single house. Yeah. Or yeah. a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and, and like we said in our smile review, like it, it's good that these things get released into theaters because, see, yeah. I didn't know this until I was doing some research about the Boogeyman, was that um, when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, uh, the Boogeyman was about to be in production. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened was that the Boogeyman was going to be like the other 20th Century Fox productions like Prey. Um, uh, what so was it was going to go to Hulu. It was going to go to Hulu. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. going to go to Hulu. But then uh, they did some test screenings and they got such a positive response from test audiences that Disney was like, okay, we're going to release this into theaters. And I don't have the numbers, but I I think, I think, you know, all things considered, the boogeyman's doing pretty well in theaters. It's doing very well. When we went, it was decently packed. Yeah. Like like, one of the mid-sized theaters at the AMC we went to. Yeah. Not just that. It was like, we went in, it was just us. And I was like, oh, I guess it's just going to be us. And this kind of annoyed me, but for like the first 30 minutes of the movie, just more and more people kept walking in. And I was like, guys, you're missing, you've missed so much, so many parts of the movie. What the fuck? But you know, know, actually that's a good sign for this because that's how a lot of those eighties horror movies worked where people would come in like a quarter of the way through and just sit back and watch the kills. Like that was kind of the culture of it. So the fact that that's That's coming back is as annoying as it is, because I get it. That, that just shows you that the film has legs. 
it has legs, which we'll get or, to. Or yes. at least that the that the that the marketing did its job. That people yes. were 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 around the AMC. We're like, hey, what's 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 playing? Uh, that boogeyman movie. Oh yeah, let's go see it. That looks scary. Let's go see well, it. It's like it's it's you know you you call horror old faithful. Nothing exhibits that more than the production studio Bloomhouse, where if they if it does badly, well, it was dirt cheap to make, and it doesn't matter. And if it does great, it was dirt cheap to make, and it makes a ton of money. Yeah. So it's yeah. a win-win. Yeah. I mean, the only thing is that these have more risk because they're not dirt cheap. Although, sure. I mean, it, it's weird that we're in this situation where, like, like you either make a million-dollar budgeted movie or a $200 million budgeted movie. And yeah. that studios are willing to do that. But anything in the middle, and they're like, oh, well, they we don't, don't want to do that. Yeah, We don't know. Too risky. And it's like, really, the $200 million blockbuster that may bomb isn't as risky as just making something for 50 mil and maybe you just break even. I, I don't know. And how see, st- that's that's why, and this is that's one of the reasons why studios like A twenty four have made such headway because they are willing to take that financial risk. Yeah, they are. They are. They really are. And it's just so weird because I was actually telling a friend of mine that it's so weird that you go through like all these streaming services, and you can always without fail find like a good dozen like mid budgeted like Hollywood movies that you may not have heard of, mm-hmm. but that really starting with like 2010, they kind of just disappeared. Like, like, yeah. like I'll, I'll get on HBO max and I'll find like this, this rom-com starring Reese Witherspoon where you're like, huh, I never, I've never heard of this before, you know? And you look, you know, or you find like a, like a, a domestic drama starring like Mark Ruffalo. And you're like, huh, I, I didn't know he did something like this. You know? Well, there was that movie we watched with Anthony Hopkins that was a lot of fun. Oh we're like, yeah, this, we're like, when did this come out? Like, was, was it this uh, was it Fracture? I think it was Fracture. Yeah, yeah with it, Ryan Gosling. It was like yeah, Ryan Gosling. Ryan, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That was it, the thing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. But like, you're totally right. You find these things like they're usually dramas, thrillers, the occasional comedy here and there, where they have like this A-list talent, but. Like, it's not, like, sci-fi or superhero or action. And you're like, huh, I never knew this existed. And that really just disappeared, right? Yeah. And we're getting it back with horror because horror, as you've said, it's old reliable. It's old faithful. These other genres, which, fun fact, Al and I have had private discussions about how we want mid-budget, these mid-budget films in all genres to come back. But and, and when we mean come back, we mean come back to theaters because yes, come back to theaters. That's because really and truly, you only get these types of movies on like Netflix or really Netflix. Because even HBO Max, Peacock, Disney Plus, they when they release something, it's it's usually something that'll it's, it's usually you know like something genre driven. H- the only time HBO Max did it, and it was a crime, you were pissed, was for uh, Bad Education. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mid-budget, really good, and, like, amazing, and ends up on HBO, and people don't talk about it for a while. You're the one that convinced me to watch it, and it was like, this should have been in theaters. It, it was, was one of abs- it was one of Hugh Jackman's greatest performances. It, to me, it was his best performance since The Prestige. I know, yeah. I know people are like, what, you didn't like his Val... Uh, Jean Valjean? I'm like, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So Netflix is really the only like platform that releases these things because 
Netflix is still all about volume over quality. So like all those old school like rom-coms that you would see out in theaters, like like yeah. even as late as the mid late 2000s, yeah. that's Netflix doing now. And it's weird because Paramount Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, Disney Plus, when they release their own original stuff, it has to have like some sort of genre bent to it. Like they'll release horror movies, they'll release action movies, but they they don't release like these mid-budget you know, these mid-budget like actor-driven movies anymore. That's really only yeah. Netflix. And Netflix is only doing it because they say yes to everything. That's but, the other factor, yeah. And when and because of that, you get these the quality goes down with yeah. them. That's yeah. the problem. I will also add this era of movies, this mid-budget era, for some reason, uh, throughout like the late 90s and early 2000s, so many of the mid-budget romantic comedies starred Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> like he dominated Or Jennifer it. Aniston. Or Jennifer. But they both owned it completely. Yeah. And yeah. just took control. And you look at it and you're like, I remember I watched one with you, actually. I forget which one it was, but it was with Matthew McConaughey. And we're sitting there, and it was with the girl It was with the girl from Sex and the City. Oh, watching, Failure to Launch. Yeah, we're watching this movie, and we're like, okay, this is fine, whatever, but it's the budget appears to be impressive. I look up how much money it made, and yeah, it made its money back, and he continued to do so many more. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, that was kind of the realm that Ryan Gosling was in up until drive. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. he was, he was made, if he wasn't making like these thrillers, he was making like, like these romances, Yeah, you know? And, yeah. and, and then, you know, he does drive and it's like, okay, he kind of breaks out of that box. It also helped that drive came out like right when the mid budget was dying so that, you know, he could do other stuff. Yeah. Um, another, another actor, well, this is the other thing in this era of mid-budget movies, like like I said said earlier, they they rarely hire A-list talent anymore. They either get like really well-known character actors or rising stars. Like all the rom-com, there was a good minute that all the rom-coms that Netflix was releasing had Noah Centineo as the oh, romantic lead. I remember this, yeah. Right? I was he like, was... damn, he's in everything in Netflix. And I thought yeah. like, okay, I guess he's going to be stuck making Netflix movies. But then he uh, popped up in uh, Black Adam. And I was like, well. And now he's going to go back to being in Netflix movies. Because well, <laughs> I mean, Sorry, he did like, no, he'll be fine. He'll be he fine. did like a Netflix spy show, I think, that was oh, actually, great. you know, did well. Or, like did well and didn't get a lot of viewers. Um, sure. Or, you know, you get these you get these mid budget movies with um you know, like like well known character actors like uh, Chris Mencina, who's actually in this, uh the mm -hmm. Boogeyman. Which I gotta say, like I I know apparently this is a guy he, so Chris Mencina plays the dad in the Boogeyman. And like apparently he's been in a bunch of stuff. Like he was a pretty he was one of those like T V actors that always got work. Um he was like in um, Ally McBeal, I think. I, I, I don't remember, but he was. I looked at his IMDb, and he was like in a bunch of TV stuff. But I started noticing him in uh, 20, <coughs> 2020 when he played a villainous role in I Care A Lot. He plays basically a, a mob lawyer in this movie starring Rosamund Pike, and he was so good in it. 
I was like, damn, this this guy, he's like, he's like crazy. And then he popped up as Victor's Zazz and Birds of Prey. And I was like, huh, that's the guy from I Care A Lot. Oh, I guess, I guess uh, he's breaking out. Um, and then he was in a movie we just reviewed with our friend Jay, uh, Air, where he plays like Michael Jordan's agent. And he, he had he probably it. the... He had probably the best monologue or the the funniest monologue in the movie, I should say. Yeah, that yeah, the funniest one. Oh, um, I don't know if you ever saw this show. He was the detective in uh, Sharp Objects. He was uh, Amy Adams' uh, love interest. I watched two episodes of Sharp Objects and I had to drop off. I don't know <laughs> if it gets better or worse, but it just wasn't working for me. But I do remember him. Yeah, he was also the detective in Devil. He played like a lot of detective roles. Oh right, he was in Devil. I did see Devil. That was yeah. a, that was an interesting one. Um, uh, he but he he had a supporting role in Six Feet Under. Uh, oh yes, you're right. He was he married into it into their business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was uh, trying to like change it. Yeah. And ironically enough, the reason he's in Air was because he's he worked with Ben Affleck in Argo. He was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was one of the I think one of the Canadians that was captured. Mm. Yeah. So Chris Mancina, really, really good character actor. Uh, apparently he has a Peacock show coming out. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but really and truly it was him and uh, Sophie Thatcher that caught my attention. Uh, Sophie Thatcher is this up and coming actress. Uh, she's from Chicago. She's in this TV show I really like called Yellow Jackets, where she plays the teenage version of a character played by, uh, what's that actress's name? Uh, uh, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? Uh, she was in, uh, uh, she was in that Robert Rodriguez movie. She was in, uh, natural born killers, Juliette Lewis. Yeah. She plays the teenage version of Juliette Lewis's character, Natalie. And she, she's really, really good at it. She's like my favorite character in that show. Um, Mm -hmm. most people know her for a role that, didn't get her a lot of love. Uh, she played one of the like weird cyborg gang kids in the book of Boba Fett. Um, oh, I, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of people hated that segment of Book of Boba Fett. They were like, "Oh God!" Rightly so. Rightly so. Let's be yeah, clear. but but you know that was actually the first thing I ever saw her in. Uh, she oh, was wow. apparently in a movie with uh, Pablo Pascal called Prospect. I know it's on Hulu. I haven't watched it myself. Haven't either. Uh, but yeah, but this is kind of her, her first big Hollywood thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that really captured my attention when I saw her in the trailer. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally watch this. And uh, then um, then finally, and I didn't know this, the third lead is played by uh, Vivian Lyra, Lyra Blair. Yeah, who, a very talented up-and-coming uh, child actor. Yeah, she, was, she played young Leia in uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show. Yeah, but you pointed out well, what else did she do? Something. I uh, know I was with? actually wrong about that. She just you looks were, like a. Oh. Yeah, she looks never like mind, another actress. <laughs> okay, but yeah, she's so. And here's the the thing was in the Obi One show, I didn't think, I didn't think what she was given, and she, again she's a child, but I didn't think she was given what she was given in the Obi One show was very um, impressive, but in this, she is given a very much a, a very much a three dimensional kid. And it works really well. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, but uh, so one thing I didn't know about the Boogeyman until the credits started rolling was that uh, it's actually written by well, one of the three, two of the three co-writers are Scott Beck and Brian Woods. 
now audience. You might be thinking to yourself, like, who is who the hell are these people? Who are yeah. the hell are these people? They are the guys who wrote the the original draft of uh, A Quiet Place, a very the, very well known movie that came out in like 2018, and, and kinda, arguably one of the best horror movies of of a, of that decade potentially. You think it's one of the best horror movies of the 2010s? It's up. You, I think it's. I think it's I, within I, like number I, ten. I, I definitely think it's one of the best horror movies of 2018. I don't know if I'll say it's one of the best horror movies of that decade, but but you know it's, we're not gonna. I th- I all right. I, I won't go further, but I th- I think you can make an argument for it. But that's just me. yeah, yeah. So uh, when I found that, I was like, oh, that makes total sense because you know that. A Quiet Place basically put those screenwriters on the map, um, mm-hmm. got them a lot of work. Uh, obviously, they've kind of lost a little bit of that love with a movie they wrote and directed called 65. Which, which came we, out. we thought about reviewing for two seconds, and then we realized there was plenty of other things out. Yeah, we were like, you know what? We love Adam Driver. We're not Too much to it. do this. Yeah. yeah, too much to do that. And um, And yeah, no... Uh, it was rewritten by Mark Heyman right before they started shooting. Mark Heyman, for those that don't know, is one of the three writers of Black Swan. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. So when we saw Scott Beck and Brian Woods, at least when I saw their names on the credit, I was like, oh, that answers a lot of questions. What questions you may ask audience member? Well, we'll elaborate on them. But how's about we watch the trailer and then we start giving our review. And y'all only listen to it. <laughs> okay, get in here. I don't know how you sleep with all these lights. What are you scared of? I don't see anything. Okay, monster check complete. you think are hiding under your bed. It's not real. What is this? It's the thing that comes for your kids when you're not paying attention. You believe me? Don't you? All right. 
So I played the teaser because to me, the teaser really captures like the spookiness of the movie. Um, the actual full trailer runs a little too long and yeah, but That's anyway, fair. yeah. So one other thing I'd like to add, uh, rounding out the cast is one of my favorite character actors, uh, David Dasmal, David Dasmalashane. Uh, folks may know him as one of, uh, the Joker's goons in the dark Knight. Uh, then he kind of got rediscovered with, uh, playing a kind of a key supporting role, but it was, it wasn't a very big role in, in um, what's that movie called? Uh, 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 Prisoners with uh, Jake oh, Gyllenhaal yeah. and Hugh Jackman. Yep. And uh, then, you know, uh, he started appearing in more and more stuff. He was uh, in Dune. He was in Dune. Uh, he was oh, one uh, of, he uh, was Suicide one of the squad. Yeah. He was one of the friends of Ant-Man in the first two Ant-Mans. Uh, he plays Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. He's a great, great character actor. Uh, he's based in Chicago, and uh, he goes to all the Chicago Comic Cons. And I've met him. Super, super nice guy. I oh, just you can... met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a I went to a Comic Con in Chicago like some some years ago, and he was there. Uh, I think this was, I think you know when this was when like after prisoners but before he was like in big big budgeted stuff like like he was he was doing like roles in like uh uh the CW Flash I think yes he was doing that a lot yeah so you know I was like I was like hey man like like and he has a great story you know he was a drug addict uh up until he decided to get clean and once he got clean he got this chance of a lifetime to be an extra on the dark night uh oh. You know, and then that kind of jump-started his career, and now he's a very, very well-respected uh, character actor. Like, he's one of those actors, and when he pops up in things, I'm like, oh, I, I, I love this guy. I really hope one day he's able to get like a really juicy like TV or film role, and make. You know what I realized he'd be great for, and I mean, I genuinely mean this as a compliment, even though the role is a very creepy role. But these are these seem to be the roles he's been getting. If they ever remake Willard, he'd be perfect. Ooh, yeah. He'd be great in that. Because the Willard movie that I saw that came out years back, it wasn't what I what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And like this, he would really deliver one what it needs to be. So uh, David Desmelishan plays Lester Billings. So something we didn't mention, which is actually kind of a big deal, and I totally forgot until I saw the trailer again. This is a, an adaptation slash reinterpretation slash sort of continuation of a Stephen King short story he wrote in the 70s called The Boogeyman. It's in his collection, Night Shift, his very famous sh horror short story collection. Um, and in that Wait, one... Wait, is that the same collection with both The Green Mile and um, Shawshank Redemption? Uh, or is that a I, different one? I don't know if those are in Night Shift. I don't I, okay. I don't know. Let me, let me look it up very quick. Because I know Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption were two short stories and they were in the same collection. Uh, but. okay. This one has, uh, this one, this one is the one that has Salem's Lot. Okay. Uh, it has, uh, da, 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 da. the man who loved flowers, the lawnmower man. Okay. This one does not have, uh, okay. It's a, a different one. Yeah. It's a different one. Night, and that Night, makes sense. Yeah. Night Shift was one of his earlier, uh, uh anthology collections. Gotcha. Um, so in that short story, the uh, character of Lester Billings in this movie played by David, that's Malachian. That's Malachian. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, is, his family is haunted by this boogie, by this monster 
that basically terrorizes their his kids and kills them right mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much the short it's, he's basically down to his last kid and his wife basically has to go take care of a sick relative and he hears the monster just waiting for the lights to go out and in the short story he freaks out runs away when he sees the monster and hides out in a diner and when he comes back the kid is dead mm-hmm. um and that's a short story it's a very yeah. one one of uh it's a really famous Stephen King short story, and it was famous because it was one of those that you would think would be ripe for an adaptation for Hollywood, but it never was. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's like it, it was like one of those Stephen King short stories that people would make a short film of and then post on YouTube. There's like ten different versions of it on YouTube. Oh, you're up. right. And then there was a 2005 film called Boogeyman, unrelated to this. Yeah, entire un- unrelated to this. Yeah. Uh, which so, got a lot of weird sequels, apparently. So in the short story, the character of Lester Billings is telling what happened to his therapist. And the way Scott Beck and Brian Woods reinterpreted the story is that this this story kinda con kinda continues from the monster going from Lester to the the his therapist and his therapist's family. Uh his two daughters played by Sophie Thatcher and Vivian Lyra Blair. They have just, they have just lost uh, the matriarch of the family the girl's mother to a car accident. So they're not in the best of moves to be handling a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with this new angle of it, it basically gave the writers this reign to kind of this free reign to kind of, cause you know, when you have a short story, the trick is, is like, or the problem is, okay, how do I expand on this? Right. Without ruining the pacing. And the way they decided to approach it is like, okay, well, we're we're going to kind of tell a, a story that follows the story from the from the short story, right? Mm-hmm. And rounding out the cast uh, is uh, Marin Arlen, who plays Rita Billings, who plays uh, Lester Bill, who is Lester Billings' wife. And see, you had asked me like, where have I seen her in? She's uh, the ex girlfriend of Chris Pine's character in Hell or High Water. Okay, she, she's I the knew, mother of his I children. Knew. I knew I recognized her. I was like, where have I seen you? Yeah. But that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's where I've seen her. So we've explained the kind of the background of this movie. We've, we've explained the cast. So see, how about I give it to you to give your opening thoughts on the movie? Okay. So the boogie man is, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's a tale as old as time. It is, it's been the, at least in America, it's been the name for just the thing that, the thing that goes bump in the night. Um, I don't know how long, how far back the, the, that, that name has been around for. Um, it feels like something that came about in like the forties or fifties, but who actually knows? But when you're dealing, what I can say is that there are so many monster movies about these like different urban legend type beings that all come from the boogeyman basically or that's like what they're adaptations of and there are good versions and there are bad versions you know for every empty man there's a bye-bye man you know what i mean <laughs> like that's that's what you get and Although, to be clear, I actually, we have some friends of friends who worked on Bye Bye Man, and they're very talented people. However, The Empty Man is, you know, a a better movie at the end of the day. For every, you know, okay. So there's dozens of adaptations for it. Um, But 
it's a pretty it, you make a statement by making a movie with that title okay you're 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 making a big promise you, there's no way around that because i think it's fair to say that okay actually al if i may ask um how well known is the term boogeyman internationally do you know if it's not so big or if it is big okay are are you asking me if the english word boogeyman is known internationally yeah. then uh no boogeyman is very much in english Amer- english speaking countries okay, that being english said speaking. your thesis of that there's a version of this creature in every culture is totally true in okay. hispanic america it's called the kui uh okay. in um in Asian countries, it, is, they, they is, each have is, their own version of it. So, and are they always like deriving in someone's closet or under the bed? Like that's their thing. Um, it's it's usually the, it, it comes out in the dark and comes it, after it, kids. It, it, it oh, after yeah, it's kids. always the the big thing is that it's always at in the dark and it comes after kids. It comes after uh, uh, misbehaving kids. Hide your kids, uh, hide your wife, because they come <laughs> out here. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen, that's but, a, that showed my age, Jesus. Yeah, but point being is that yes. Most human cultures, they have some sort of creature, hangs out in the dark, comes after your kids, comes after misbehaving kids. So that being um, said, that being said, you you when you're adapting, making a film that's an adaptation of that widely known thing, and for English-speaking countries, it's the Boogeyman, and you name it the Boogeyman. You don't give it a a different name where that's like more localized or hell. The Blair Witch is a, is a female, you know. East East Atlantic Coast version of the Boogeyman at the end of the day. Um, but when you use that, you really set an expectation. Um, and I think the people who made this movie, they genuinely took that part seriously, which I appreciate. I really appreciate it. It still has fun, to be clear. But they... They respected the lore to do this justice. And I really liked that. I really, I, that's the main thing I was worried about was that they were going to try to set their own rules, which they have their own rules, of course, but they were going to try to change things around, make it too, either too dumb or too complicated. No, they set it right. They make it strong. And then they just, it's like a, you know what it was? It was like a wind up toy. They wound it up and set it loose and it was great. So that's my intro for it for you, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the thing is, is that like we've we've seen so many adaptations or so many interpretations of kind of the the child eating monster that lives in the dark. I mean, there was a whole HBO series about it called the the Stranger. I think I think a really good uh, show. The uh, the um, the Outcast, which was yeah. Wait, the wasn't the, that also based on a Stephen King thing? Yes, actually, the outsider. Oh, see, yeah, the outsider. So, yeah. So even so even go. Stephen King, you know, kind of draws it back multiple times. Has done it multiple times. Um, well, maybe that's why he only did a short story because he understood that he can't do a full thing about it. He can only do a short story. Yeah, uh, and you know, like, listen, who else is gonna? Who else? I mean, if you're gonna adapt or you're gonna try to make an interpretation of the Boogeyman, who better than to adapt than Stephen King? I mean, oh yeah, the man's called the master of horror for a reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that and R.L. Stein, obviously. Yeah. Hey, R.L. Stein, <laughs> folks. No joke. No joke, folks. No, he's R. L. great. R.L. Stein came up with some fucked up concepts. If no, you really did. think, of, if you really think about it, you know, no, he he's the reason people don't like puppets. 
Well, also, <laughs> for, for the record, folks, we're talking about Goosebumps. And yes, I got when I was very little, my dad got me one v- Goosebumps VHS. He rented it from uh, Blockbuster. I don't know if you all have ever heard of that. And um, I was terrified as a child. No, you but, know, you know what got me? What? Was because the masks he, they couldn't take. Yeah, off. That one. yes, oh, the masks. I knew no, that, one, that one was messed up. Because you know it's late. It's that thing where it's like they're on really tight, and they would just like you can never take it off. That fucked with my head. But anyway, <laughs> anyway yeah. going back to another master of horror, Stephen King. Yeah, you can't go wrong with adapting Stephen King's interpretation to the Boogeyman. Um, mm-hmm. What I will say about this movie that I absolutely loved, and see, you mentioned this when we were talking about it, is that this movie is so well structured. It is, it is. It has like, bones. That's it how has, structure. It has it bones. Is. It has structure. It has a foundation. Um, it has a. It has a really solid foundation. Like, is this the best screenplay of the year? No, of course no. not. No. no, no. But it. It like again, Scott Beck and Brian Woods have shown that they those guys know how to how to plot out how to structure horror films. One mm-hmm. of the things most people loved about. A Quiet Place was that how well it was structured, how well the plot and the theme and the character arcs all tied into each other, like in a neat bow. And you get that here in The Boogeyman. Maybe not as refined because Josh Krasinski is such a great storyteller and director. So it's not refined, but it's still there where the theme. So basically The Boogeyman is, is again, is kind of goes in that subgenre film where the horror is a metaphor for the grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw this in Hereditary. We saw this in Smile. I would say this is closer to Smile than Hereditary, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hereditary is really fucked up. Um, <laughs> but Her- Hereditary, so let me be clear. Smile will give you nightmares. Hereditary will give you daymares. Exactly, Daymaker. exactly. It's that bad. Um, but it's still it's still this, this idea of that you know, this family is grieving the loss of the mother slash wife of the family and the suffering they feel from that grief is tied into the suffering and the fear they feel from this monster. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this movie is that it develops both. It develops kind of the, the seriousness of what this monster is along with like just how deeply broken the family is that they've lost the, the matriarch of the family. Mm -hmm. Um, and that comes from good writing. That comes from good, efficient writing. Because this movie is barely ninety, barely over 90 minutes. It's almost 100 minutes. 98 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Not a long movie. But it's not a long movie where it knows it focuses on the scares, focuses on the character development, focuses on moving the plot forward, and it does a great job at it. And then the director, Rob Savage, who's a relative newcomer, um, he did a... He did like a streaming horror film on shutter in 2020 and then he did uh two years ago a movie called dash cam uh but this is his first like big production movie he does a really efficient job at getting to the point of the scene getting to the point of the scares and developing our characters and that's always appreciated because you know usually these types of movies Studios give them some money and they're like, we want this movie to make as much money as possible. Uh, but, you know, we're we're kind of not going to give it the attention it would deserve in order well, to make it. You can you can the the thing about horror is you can overproduce it. 
Exactly. And that's when you really mess things up. Oh yeah. A lot of a lot of sequels to great horror movies fall into that trap. Oh yeah. That's the what Halloween that. trilogy. Oh my god. Th- those Jesus. the last two movies went were overproduced and lost sight of what was the point of 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 the franchise, which is Michael Myers killing people. Mm-hmm. And this one, they never lose fact that it's a book monster that they want to see terrify this family, but they at least justify the scares by showing the character arcs and how these characters are going into a worse place because of their grief and because of what this monster is doing to them. Mm-hmm. And again, that comes from the fact that Rob Savage is a confident director who knows that yes, you want scares, but we're also gonna show we're also gonna kind of show how this family's overcoming their grief. You know? But the balance this movie has, there are scenes in this movie which you could show clips separately to people, and one could easily guess that they're from two different movies, but they're put together and it still one hundred percent works. That's yeah. what's really that's what we're talking about when we say incredible structure. Because to create that balancing act, you need impeccable structure and damn good pacing. Exactly. And that again. That comes from having a rock-solid foundation of good writing. Now, again, we're not saying this is the best screenplay we've, or this is the best written movie of the year. This we're is not even saying... the best horror movie we've, horror screenplay we've seen. Exactly. Potentially. Potentially. But it is efficient. It knows, ex- it knows not to waste the ink on the page. No, and not at all. C-, C and I can tell you how many times we've seen movies, like even recently, like I would <laughs> say... Yeah. <laughs> I would say, say uh, I, I, I would say Bo is Afraid wasted tons of ink on the page. I'll say The Little Mermaid made me want to gouge my eyes out and just listen to the music. Like, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, they, they took all. They, that's an example where you take an, a very efficient script and bloat it out until it can't breathe. Exactly. Like, exactly. God damn. Yeah. It. Yeah. The thing is, folks, we listen, I'm sure C would agree. I love a good three hour epic as much as the next guy. We love or, our epics. I one of my favorite movies is Lawrence of Arabia. I love an epic. Let's yeah, be clear. I I could like like I know people who are like they could watch the Lord of the Rings over and over and over again. And those movies are long. You could watch The Godfather multiple times. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. But but you know what? You know what those? You know what all those films have in common Structure. is that, yeah, Sorry. and Sorry. and they really don't waste the ink on their page. They're just yeah. such massive stories that need to be told in that amount of time. Yeah, a, a movie about a monster in your closet slash basement should not need to be more than two hours long. And if you can make it ninety eight minutes long, Great. hell's yeah, hell's yeah, hundred minutes or less. That's the rule. Yeah, um, and again. Rob Savage, this is his first like big Hollywood thing. He does a great job. He knows how to set up a scare scene. Um, he knows not to lean in too much on jump scares. In fact, most of his scares come from the camera panning to something and the, the monster just being there. And you're like, oh, that's, that's scary. Uh, yeah. A lot of the scares come from the fact that, uh, again, uh, actress Vivian Lyra Blair is, is a young girl. Mm-hmm. And like the movie sets up that this thing has no qualms about hurting kids. But that's no qualms at all. This movie also shows that it's one thing to show a monster chasing a kid and like 
you know, understanding the fear of what happens when that thing gets the kid, which is scary in its own right. There are plenty of movies that achieve that very well. I'm not saying that. But when you see this thing physically jump and attack the kid, that is a different visceral feeling. That will, there is a moment when something happens and the audience visual, verbally egacked back so to speak, or yeah. yelped back. Like they were, people were shocked when it happened. I have a feeling I know how they achieved it. And it, but it would be fair to say that in that scene, neither one of us thought that that was going to happen. Exactly. I, I, I have to say, and again, it comes from the fact that Rob Savage knows how to shoot this thing so that he gets the optimum amount of gasping from his audience. Mm. It, and, and not waste a shot, you know, because, yes, this movie has money, but not a lot of it. Yeah. So they have but to be creating money. Well, That's yeah, the they know how and when to 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 reveal the monster. They do this really cool thing where the monster hates the light. So it always tries to be in the shadow. But you just get just enough glimpses to be horrified over what you're looking at. And then at the very end, at the climax, is when you see the full monster. And like, while I have my own critiques of of the design, I I, I think it's a design that you just start seeing in a lot of Hollywood monster movies. Yeah. So it is what it is. But even then, it still it still knows how to give it its own twist, especially with the mon- how the monster interacts with its with its mouth. Prey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um. But yeah, no, I I would say that one of the big applauds I can give this movie is that efficient and to the point writing and directing which you don't see a lot of in uh in hollywood movies you just don't there's they're either so bare bones that you're like you're like the movie kind of has no aim or they're so overwritten that you're like okay why why are you losing focus like it's too like like for example a lot of these movies the way you kill it is like so unbelievably mundane and complicated it's yeah. like, this is un, and you understand what they're going for, but it's like, this is too much. Like, or I don't need to go get this special book and break a twig over it. And then at the chime of midnight, you get what I'm saying. Or the subplot of the, of the skepticism over the monster is like, just goes on too long yeah. where you're like, you're like a whole, like 30 extra 30 minutes. is just because people are still skeptical about the monster yeah. or that there's like a subplot, like maybe Maybe there's like a romantic subplot. Maybe there's like a subplot about how you you don't have friends. You know, there's always like a, a subplot in a movie that just goes on way too long. And like, that's the thing is a lot of... So Hollywood demands to put romance in everything. Spoiler alert, there isn't really a romantic subplot here. And thank God. Yeah, like, okay. So a, a movie that also did this well was The Black Phone. Where yes. there's a subplot where the lead kid has to learn how to be brave, right? Has, has to learn how to be brave. And they don't spend so much time on it that the movie slows down. They're like, okay, the kid has to be brave. He, he got to talk to the ghosts. He's got to learn how to how to fend for himself. And it's so straight into the point that it, it, it allows the movie to not be crazy, crazy long. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, uh, this film does have a subplot about how alienated Sophie Thatcher's character feels from her friends. And it's just enough to show you that there is a world outside the, this family's immediate world, 
but not so much that you're like this this is kind of irrelevant go back to the scares mm -hmm. you know they're able to have subplots like there's a subplot involving uh the dad and how he doesn't want to talk about what happened with the wife his wife but it's not like dragged out to be just to pad the movie you know what i mean they know exactly what the movie's about and they stick to it no absolutely it, and in fact the the script looking back i realize this is what the script did but in order to cut down the runtime of the side stories it will very much remove those characters in a very sudden way which i can see some people say would be jarring but you accept it because it then immediately follows up with some really good horror moments yeah yeah um the only real critique i'll give this movie is that again the design of the monster is derivative like yeah. and i don't mean that it's in scary a, to be clear but derivative yeah it's derivative we've seen that design before many many times and i would say the while while the story is very efficient and very well told like honestly if you've seen other horror movies that come out in the recent years about monsters like like smile or something you you pretty much know like okay this is going to happen and then this happens and then this happens like yeah. like it's it's there's nothing in here that's super unpredictable or i'm not new, saying even. or yeah. new yeah there's nothing new or or original here it's been done before yeah. um and that's perfectly fine yeah you know like listen not every movie has to be crazy out of the box like thinking and original like everything everywhere all at once yeah. no that's not possible because then you get Bo is afraid <laughs> yes that's my them. point that like, you get that if you keep pushing that envelope and i love when movies go out there i've said this on this podcast well I you love, love when, when movies go out there and succeed sure yes because then i'm not having this debate but yeah yeah no um, we're not we're not having this debate but no. but that's really my only critique of the film is that you know even the scares are scares that you're like okay this is going to be that type of scare obviously you're still scared because you're like oh but but this movie isn't like like an original piece of work that you would say, like, oh, I've never seen anything like that before. So there's yeah. one thing. Oh, go if on, you sorry. were born like six months ago, then yeah, you've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. There's one thing I want to add. So there's a famous lesson you learn when writing scripts. If there is a gun over the mantle place in Act 1, you better use it in Act 3. That is a simple rule. Chekhov's gun. Yep, exactly. This movie did something very interesting, which I think worked. It used the gun over the, the metaphorical gun over the mantel place. Every 10 to 15 minutes and used those little ones to slowly build to make what would be argued is a simple conclusion far more satisfying. Oh, to yeah. make it far so much better. Like it would it would drop a little crumb here and then 10 to 15 minutes later they'd pick it up again and it felt natural. It felt like it worked. Yeah. Or they'd have one from 20 minutes ago that was brought back at the right time and they would just do little ones here and there and keep dropping these crumbs off. And I loved it. I love that they did that because it kept you engaged during the not horror moments really effectively. Mm -hmm. So I had to bring that up because that you you... Sometimes when you do that too much in a script, it can be viewed as a problem in certain ways. I can see that point, 
but this was it was like a domino effect it was yeah it was a domino effect and because of the character arc it was just so satisfying in the climax where you're like oh that's how this all ties together it's very satisfying it's very very satisfying um is there anything like maybe you didn't like about the movie or or so i will talk about that as you as you said the design for the creature is not original it's not it's not bad and it is scary, but I was talking about this with Al after we walked out. I think a lot of people have realized there are certain things you can do for a monster design that every single person will find universally horrifying. And that's just a fact. If you take something humanoid, but you distort it in a way, it will be found to be scary. We are something in the in our in deep in our lizard brain, I don't know what you want to say, finds we revolt at that. We see that as bad, and it is scary. I, I saw I saw a comment on Twitter that says a lot of monster movies now are somehow derivative of Slenderman. Yes, because yeah, actually, you're 100 percent right. It yeah. is derivative of that. The the elongated features, the humanoid twisted. bipedal thing, but yeah, yeah, always like slightly distorted features that are unnerving. But the way they used this was very good, because. Yeah. Obviously, they understood if you don't see it, you're not scared of it. The only difference... So, for example, I said in Smile, the creature design, I thought a, spe- a specific element of the creature design, when it's revealed, is brilliant. Like, really good and original, I felt. A certain element of it. So, in that sense, you have that amazing reveal of the monster that's just blood-curdling. Oh, yeah. In, in this, you don't quite get that. You get a satisfying payoff, but you see it and you're like, yeah, I've seen I've seen what you're giving me before. Yeah. I've seen you. And that's like, fine. But like, believe it, it or not, I've seen that design in CW shows. I've seen that design in Cloverfield, motherfucker. I saw that's- like, yeah. And it's again, not we're not shitting on it. It's just it's no. just that thing of like, like, yeah, you've seen it before. Like. Like, the trailers do this whole thing where you don't get a good look at it, but trust me, once you get a good look at it, I mean, you'll still be like, ew, but you won't be like, holy shit, I've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, again, not every movie has to break the has to break the wheel or whatever. That's yeah. fine. It's just, if we're choosing a critique, a, a noticeable critique, it is that. that yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, all right, so what would be your rating then, see? This is a well-balanced... Uh, this is a well-balanced horror movie with incredible pacing and is a a great time to be had. I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say you do not need to see this in theaters, but this is the perfect movie where if you have a bunch of friends over, turn off the lights and just play it. This is kind Mm. of the perfect movie because here's why. It's... It balances things out where it's not like so scary that you're gonna alienate a, like half your friends, but you're gonna get the good scares in the in those yeah. moments. So yeah. like, cause you know, if I invite a bunch of friends, I'm not playing Hereditary, okay? I'm I'm not doing that because two of them are gonna be like, I'm scarred for life. I hate you now. I'm like, oh great, thanks. But this is kind of that perfect balance where it's like, yeah. Or actually, you know what? This is also good for. If you're like, if you're sitting around, you know, giving out candy on Halloween, play this in the background to entertain you and your friends. 
That's kind of perfect. You'll still you'll have a great time. And yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention, but what I'm saying is it's the perfect horror movie for everybody. It really is. Yeah, it's but it's, yeah, it's, a, it's 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 a well-structured horror movie. Yeah. Um I actually like this a lot more than you did see. So for me, this is a a very efficient horror flush. Okay. Uh, well. Yeah. Um I do think this would be a great movie to see in theaters. Uh that being said, uh, you know, it's, 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 how do I put this? This won't blow your socks off, but if you see this like in a matinee or you see this on a weeknight, uh, you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to get your tickets worth in it. You know, you, you'll just be like, yeah, you know what this is? This is like comfort <clears throat> food where you're like, you're like, yeah, I've eaten this before and I've had it better at other places, but it's still good. This was a tasty burger. Yeah, this is a tasty burger. And while there, you can fuck up a burger, it's really, yes. really hard to fuck up a burger. And this yeah. is a well-made burger. This yeah. is a really well-made burger. Um, yeah, no, this is Boogie an efficient horror man. flesh. Yum. <laughs> that's that's good. That, that, see, that was really good. But yeah, this to me is an efficient horror flush. Uh, yes. Watch it with watch it with your girlfriend. Have her like scream and hide hide uh, on your chest. You know it's 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 fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, it's, it's a there's lot of fun. probably going to be better movies out uh, soon. Wink, wink, wink. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when we do. Yeah, we'll but get to that. If, if you've seen it, if you've seen the good movies already, and you know it's a weeknight, you have nothing better to do. Again, this movie's only ninety eight minutes long. Go watch yeah. it. Don't no, it's, yeah. that's the thing. It's like it's kind of the perfect. It, it is perfect in that sense. And me giving it a lesser rating, I want to be clear. I didn't. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I, I thoroughly loved it. And I actually, I want to mention also what elevated this. The acting is so good in this, like really well done. Like they, I love when horror movie actors like actually like bring their a game, which they absolutely did in this. They absolutely yeah. did. Yeah. All right, so that's been our review of The Boogeyman. Uh, yeah, Sorry. this is uh, What Do You Think I'm Al? And I'm C. Don't be afraid of the dark, folks. Uh.